0: game of thrones season seven is over but we're just getting started here on the game of thrones season finale deep dive here on post show recaps and now here are the two guys who were told by an evil witch that we would never be able to get pregnant i'm rob sister and here is josh wiggler josh how are you
1: I don't recall that conversation, personally. Uh, I think I'm that getting that a second opinion. <laughs> I think that was a you thing. Mm. And for me, I'm just uh, I'm just alright. I'm, I'm good with my life. How are you doing? How's everything with you, Rob?
0: Doing okay. And Josh, uh, still reeling from the wall coming down last night on the Game of Thrones uh, Season 7 finale. I'm sure that uh, you must have had your hands full uh, with uh, digging through the rubble.
1: It was a fun night. I don't know. I lo- You know, there's there's one aspect of it where it's like it's really exhausting to be covering the a show of this magnitude at such a full court press capacity but it's also like really exhilarating too i'm sure you know what that's like you know with like mm-hmm. a big survivor finale night or you know anything like that you know it's just really fun to pick through the bones of, of a big finale like this one uh, so I'm, I'm having a blast i'm not tired i'm awake i'm wide awake uh i am uh i am still knee deep in coverage and probably will be for the next week or two even potentially uh and i think the game of thrones is going to be a regular part of both of our lives for the next little while. So no time to get weary on Westeros, Rob.
0: Yeah, a lot to do as we talk about last night's finale. Of course, uh, Stephen Fishback and I were live after the episode to go through it with our first reactions, which are always fun in like those uh, first 10-15 minutes after the episode ends. That's up on PostalRecaps.com. And then Josh and I will be taking your season finale feedback. Uh, You can send your questions in Email us, got at posterrecaps.com, or go to postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail to leave us a voice message. Josh, uh, we haven't gotten a chance to talk about the episode. You've long speculated that the wall was coming down. Uh, was this what you envisioned? No,
1: I think I probably imagined like a full collapse of the wall. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation for how that might happen in the book someday. And there was a lot of speculation for how that might happen on the show someday. And there's talks of magical horns, you know, that will, that will blow through the wall and, you know, destroy the entire thing. So I guess I kind of figured that there was just going to be a complete and total collapse of the structure and instead, there's just, like, a gigantic hole that gets punched through it. Uh, like, enough that all the White Walkers can cross through. So, you know, the damage is done. It's enough. You know, why go all the way breaking the full wall when just punching a hole through the thing is going to is gonna make enough of a dent to get your army through to the other side. So it works. And I think that even, even with it just being uh, partial destruction, like, I feel like that's really underselling the gravity of what happened. And just, like, watching a zombified dragon just, like, Hot breathing blue fire on the thing, just like stinky mouthing this whole thing to death was pretty wild, pretty, pretty righteous. And to see the Night King, you know, just like kind of standing there like a stone cold Terminator on the back of this thing, just steadily blasting the wall. It was frightening. It was it was nightmare stuff. So even though it was something that I had been um, thinking was probably coming fairly imminently, I wasn't sure if it would be season finale material or if it would be early season, uh, early season eight, final season territory. Uh, but it makes sense for it to be the final thing that you see here in the penultimate season. It gives you a real sense of what's coming up in Game of Thrones in its final season, and it also you know kind of clarifies why there can only be six episodes left in the show. White Walkers in Westeros is not not exactly a sustainable situation
0: i thought that the real master stroke on the part of the night king was that after he blasted the hole in the wall and moved the whole army of the undead through he then went back and recovered the hole with a poster of raquel welch so the night's (laughs) watch had no clue what had just happened they thought they were still on the other side of the wall they didn't even realize it
1: it was really, really genius. Yeah. No, that was really, that was really helpful. That was really powerful. The Night King, he really plans for everything as we've established over these past few podcasts.
0: He's an excellent planner. And so, uh, they are now headed south and, uh, it is looking like a very dire situation. Okay. So Josh, the big thing in terms of the lore of Game of Thrones is, uh, everything that was really laid out for us. Uh, I talked about brand splaining last night with Stephen where we got a lot of background into the uh, birth story and origin of Jon Snow, confirmed Targaryen, confirmed Aegon Targaryen. What do you think about the way the show handled all that?
1: Well, it's crazy that Jon Snow is actually Aegon Targaryen returned. Uh, That's a pretty wild development for sure. It's a very classic name within the Targaryen line. Aegon the Conqueror is the man who invaded Westeros and united the Seven Kingdoms under one rule long ago. He is the first Targaryen king. So is Jon going to be the last Targaryen king? Is he not going to even be a Targaryen king? There's a lot that you could pick apart just in terms of like the, the significance of the name. So that's kind of neat. Um, I loved seeing Rhaegar. Uh, that was really exciting. You know, I never thought that we would actually see Rhaegar Targaryen on the show, or at least I never allowed myself to fully believe that that was something that we would see. Game of Thrones doesn't really dabble in flashback. Too much, but Bran hadn't really done any sort of vision questy kind of things this season. He's been uh, kind of one note this season, Rob, uh, up until this moment. So I was hopeful, but not really feeling like it was a guaranteed slam dunk thing. So seeing that moment where Rhaegar and Liana are married. Uh, you know this is this is like the hot couple for for fans of the books right like this is this is one of those mythical relationships you know this legendary romance that everyone had so many expectations of and just to see them together was really awesome also Rhaegar Targaryen the guy who they had playing him whose name I don't know off the top of my head looks so exactly. much like Viserys. Yes, <laughs> like I thought like wow is that Harry Lloyd like did you just get him to like play Rhaegar His brother it was it was really stunning yeah well I mean they are brothers on the show so <laughs> maybe it is Barry Lloyd could have been the guy that they called to play uh, Rhaegar. I don't know, yes. but it was that was pretty great. So. Front-loading it with the positives uh, because I'm not wild about some of the other uh, things that came out of this sequence, Rob. Yes. Um, Well,
0: I'm a big fan of Rhaegar and Lyanna together, or as I ship them, Rihanna. That's Mm. what uh, I like to (laughs) uh, refer to them as uh, for those in the inner circle. Yes. Just put them under that same umbrella. Yes. Were you surprised that Bran did not know all of this information? I mean, as the Three-Eyed Raven, as the all-knowing That is able to look backward and warg and uh, seemingly has all of this information, knows exactly what Littlefinger said when he put the dagger up to Ned Stark's throat. He knows everything. Did not know this. This feels like a blind spot.
1: I guess this is, you know, Bran needs to know where to look in order to look. Like, it's not that he just, like, naturally knows everything. But the second that Sam was like, hey, can you go and, like, check in on the wedding date between Rhaegar and Lyanna? Like, can you see that? He's like, oh, yeah, never really thought about that. And then he goes and then he sees it. What what confuses me is so he can go back to the Tower of Joy again and then hear Lyanna whisper Aegon Targaryen to Ned Stark but he didn't like want to hear what she had to say the first time he went to the tower of joy or did he hear that before and for whatever reason still believed that john was a bastard. John Sand, by the way, has no ring to it. No ring to it. Uh no ring to it whatsoever. I'm confused about the mechanics of it as well. Um and I know that there is, you know, kind of like a backlash to the backlash on Game of Thrones right now. Like the the picking of the nits Rob, is uh the nits king. Yeah, so uh, I Nova, hear. Nova, <laughs> so so I've heard as well. And I and I totally understand that. And I'm not going to start like getting on my high horse or my high dragon about or my high garden even about, you know, like raven speeds or anything like that. But I do think that there has been something a little bit problematic with the reveal of John being a Targaryen on the show. Really, we didn't learn anything new in this moment where it's revealed that John, other than the fact that his name is Aegon Targaryen, that's really the only new bit of information that we get. Earlier in the season, Gilly already told us the thing that Sam, you know, discovers in this in this final um, scene with Bran. Uh, so that's already on the table for us, and it's presented as kind of new information on the show. And I do think that there was this idea of like. Holding on to uh, the information that John is a Targaryen and keeping that away from John, and naturally, how do you do that? Like, how do you find like a natural way to do that when Bran really wants to talk to John, really wants to let him know what's going on, and you're just keeping these characters away from each other? And it's not like Bran isn't receiving correspondence from John; he's getting ravens from this guy left and right, and he's not sending anything to him, like being like, "Hey, we got to talk," even if he doesn't want to put it down on paper, like. I have something incredibly important to tell you and you should probably come back here or let me come to you. Uh, You know, anything like that. Not for nothing, keeping Bran even further away from the wall and further away from the Night King wouldn't be such a bad idea. Maybe send Bran to Dragonstone. Neither here nor there. So I think that that is something that has stuck in my craw a little bit. I really wanted if there was going to be like another advancement of the John Targaryen thing, uh, or the A John Targaryen thing, if you want to call him that, mm-hmm. I think that it had to be, he should have, he should have known like they they need to, they need to present this information to him. That's the next step. The audience is smart enough and has access to the internet and knows that John is a Targaryen. And so when the reveal is dropped like this in this finale, it doesn't come across as new. It really comes across as kind of wheel spinny. And I also think that like the presentation of the information it doesn't do any favors for the romance between John and Daenerys. You know, this should be a really exciting moment that you're seeing John and Danny finally coming together. Uh, wow. so to speak, so to speak. Uh, you know, finally getting together and finally being together in this way. And rather than it being kind of a heartfelt romantic moment, there's this triumphant music that's playing underneath it as we're finding out that John is a Targaryen. And the ramifications of that is that we are watching an incestuous sexual scene between these two characters that we deeply, deeply love. And I don't know what the clean answer for that is, if the show and the story really wants John and Danny to be together. But I think just the, the direct juxtaposition of that Made it very uncomfortable to watch, not to mention the peeping Tyrion of it all was also very, very shady. (laughs) I
0: don't think he was peeping Tyrion. What was he doing? What was he doing? He was uh, weeping
1: Tyrion. Yeah. (laughs) He seems sad about the whole thing. I don't understand what's up with that. So anyway, I did not love this scene. I will, I will say, I thought that I thought it was a little clumsy. I think that it was uh, kind of redundant. I think it's repetitive. We got the big revelation last year in season six when uh, when Bran visits the Tower of Joy and there's the camera closing in on the baby and then it cuts immediately to Jon Snow. So you know at that point, you know, you know what Jon is. And to stretch it out like there is some sort of further reveal by dropping the name of his father explicitly on the show, it's not like. You know, it's not like it's a uh, it's a, a new bombshell. This is something that we already know, and not for nothing too. samuel Tarly comes to Bran, and Bran just like volunteers without any problem. I got to talk to John, by the way. John's a Targaryen. Did you know that? So Bran never casually mentions that to Sansa or Arya. They you know, wouldn't understand. One You know, I I feel like they might. I feel like they might get it. So, I don't know. Questions about all of that. Questions about the delivery on it. And once again, making me wonder, is it impossible that Game of Thrones goes through the entire story without Jon finding out that he's a Targaryen. I don't think it's off the table. I think that that's one of the things that's kind of troubling me about the mechanism for delivering this information is I think that they are keeping the ball away from John. And if the story's trajectory is we've got White Walkers and Westeros now who are very close to Winterfell, which is where Bran and Sam both are right now, and they might not be able to easily escape if they escape at all and get the information to John. Like, is the show just trying to keep this ball away from John and it's just enough that the audience knows that John is a Targaryen and whatever happens next is loaded with that much more importance because John is a Targaryen and he doesn't even know it? Uh, and there's value in that to some degree but not at the expense of like the realism of how John should have this information by now. So that's my biggest nit that I'll pick. I, I do think that the, that the delivery of this information was really clumsy.
0: Yeah, I can't disagree with you too much, especially because we found out the information uh, from Gilly a couple of weeks back. And Sam didn't even bat an eye when Gilly mentioned it. I know you had a chance to speak with uh, John Bradley for uh, THR. What did he say about whether or not Gilly was going to get credit for this?
1: It was really funny. Let me pull up the uh, I'll pull up the article because it was it was great. He was like, "Yeah, oh man, I thought about that too. Why didn't Sam credit Gilly?" And John Bradley's response was effectively, "It's not like Jorah Mormont's going around giving Sam credit for curing him of grayscale. <laughs> Doesn't the universe owe him one? Doesn't he deserve to just get credit for something?" Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I think that he he also said like it would slow down the momentum of the scene if Sam is suddenly like, "Oh wait a." hey Bran. remember my girlfriend gilly yeah so she told me this thing um i guess like the fix to that would be like have gilly in the scene then gilly can pipe in and that would be great uh, like, hey, uh, Bran, this is my girlfriend, Gilly. We heard you're here. Let's all talk. Yes, I Gilly's know. The I'm gets, the three-eyed yeah, raven. Yeah, I'm the three-eyed raven. I've already met her in my dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't know. But that's that's basically what he said there. I, d- I did think that that was funny that, uh, you know, you talk about bran planning. There's definitely some sam planning that's going on <laughs> here as well. So, we saw Jon Snow and Daenerys getting together. There had been a lot of talk about
0: Daenerys can't conceive a baby. Is a Jon Snow and Daenerys baby on the way, Josh?
1: Um, I, I think it's It's certainly a possibility. There's, you know, there has been a lot of talk on the show this season about the line, you know, the line of secession and and what happens next when, uh, you know, if Daenerys dies, who inherits the Iron Throne, assuming she's able to win? And Danny telling John last week the children are the, the dragons are the only children I'll ever have and then reiterating it in this week's episode. So it does make you wonder why is all of that information here on the show if there isn't something that's developing there? Um, and I could totally see the scenario in which Danny does survive the series and maybe she's pregnant with John's child and John is gone. Uh, we lose John somehow, but the Targaryen line stays alive in a really. You know, honestly, in a very pure uh, Targaryen way. Uh, so I, I don't think that that's off the table. I could I could see that happening for sure. What's your instinct on it?
0: I mean, it feels like that this is uh, Chekhov's baby Targaryen that's on the way, and uh, maybe Aegon
1: Targaryen Junior is in the works. It's like Junior, Junior, Junior. <laughs> junior. I don't know. It's like Aegon. I think that would be Aegon the Seventh at this point. Something I'm not like even sure. that. Yeah, also not for nothing. There was like Rhaegar had another son named Aegon. Yes.
0: Yes, we talked about that was, last it, night.
1: this was a he, do-over. He just loved that name, I guess. I don't think baby Aegon was dead yet at the time that he uh that he had uh that he had John on the way. I, I have to check my timeline on that, but I I think that baby Aegon was still alive, so he just loves that name. I think we had a fact check on this last night on the podcast. I think that he was
0: gone and I did hear this explained on a, uh, another podcast on the ringer after the thrones that there was some talk of that maybe that because Rhaegar Targaryen felt like that this was going to be the prince that was promised had to be an Aegon Targaryen. So he knew the first one wasn't right. So maybe he was it was going to be this one that was going to be the real Aegon Targaryen conqueror
1: Azor on high. Jon Snow is not going to be a fan of this name. Like, he's like, no. I'm Aegon Targaryen, really? That feels like. Lame. Like, I'm not an Aegon. Do I look like an Aegon? Do I sound like an Aegon? So, I don't know. I don't think that he's gonna, I don't think he's gonna gravitate toward the name. I do think that we got, like, a really good taste of what it's gonna, what it's gonna look like if John ever finds out about his, uh, Targaryen roots. You know, we had this really, I thought, a really great scene between him and Theon, uh, in the, in the scene at Dragonstone where John tells Theon, you don't have to choose. You're a Greyjoy and you're a Stark. Like he may as well have been looking in the mirror and like talking to his future self about what's going to happen when he finds out who his real parents are. Like you're not now suddenly just a Targaryen. You're a Targaryen and you're a Stark, uh, and you're a Snow. You know, don't run away from your roots. Uh, so I like that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah,
0: John has a lot of different names at this point. He's gone from John Snow to John Stark to Aegon Targaryen. Who knows what the future holds for? I don't even know what to call him.
1: King in the North, King in the South, King. <laughs> the east king and the west king of everything you know yeah. just the king <laughs> king john Josh, we saw the
0: highly anticipated meeting take place, uh, between a number of the main characters of the series, uh, this big summit where we brought everybody in to show Cersei this white that we took from beyond the wall and brought here as this epic display, which was going to uh, change Cersei's mind and make her join this truce and then who knows, maybe even join the forces to take on the undead. And boy, Cersei was seemingly impressed, but it all is, I guess, a one big long con to get everybody to leave her alone
1: on top of that Jon Snow going full Stark yes. right like you know being like uh yeah I actually am I'm, I'm loyal to Danny," and just like completely ruining the whole thing it was so satisfying watching everyone afterwards including Daenerys being like "John, you are an idiot. Mm -hmm. And John like defending himself and literally nobody having him back in this moment. Like you could even imagine Davos being like, oh, come on. Come on. That was so bad. Uh, Yeah, but Cersei is conning these people, clearly. Uh, Yeah, she does not plan on taking this threat seriously. And I thought that this was an interesting kind of of argument. And I'm a little disappointed that Euron is not actually just running away. Because I thought that that was a great character note of like, yeah, that's the only thing that's ever scared Me and I'm just gonna leave. I'm gonna find like the furthest away island and just like go there and live the rest of my life. You know, I'm just gonna be as far away and hey, Daenerys, you should go to Dragonstone. And when this is all over, you and I can meet up and we'll be the only two people alive in the world. Uh, I thought that that was a great character note. And I liked the idea from Cersei of like, you know, there are people that in the face of overwhelming adversity and irrefutable like apocalyptic stakes will just kind of be like, yeah, no, that might be coming, but rather than fixing the problem, I just got to get the hell out of Dodge. I just got to look out for number one. Uh And that is Cersei's MO. And it makes sense to me that she would, rather than worry about the fate of the entire realm, she would be more concerned about the fate of herself, the fate of her family, the fate of her house, the fate of her name, the fate of her power. Uh, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And it makes an equal amount of sense for Jamie to really stand against that. And for Jamie to finally be like, You know what? Maybe everybody who has been telling me that you're super awful has a point. Like, maybe I finally should start listening to what they have to say. And maybe I need to go up north on my own and just call it on this whole Lannister thing. Uh, I loved that. I thought that I thought it was really true to both of the characters as they've been established throughout the show. I think it was a really great note on like we were talking about recently about we need to kind of get Jamie back towards that redemption arc. I think it satisfies that. And I think that this is really consistent with the Cersei that we've been seeing recently. Really, um, the the failure of imagination is the only thing that's keeping you from besting Cersei because it's hard to imagine just her kind of uh, her her bottomless pit of self preservation instincts. Uh, she really is is very good at just surviving. We'll see if that keeps happening throughout the rest of the series with only six episodes left, I'm starting to feel kind of inclined that Cersei might make it.
0: You really have to walk back our opinions of Tyrion as being the smartest Lannister because we've seen Cersei outflank him a number of times uh, this season. You know, uh, Tywin Lannister once said to Cersei, you know, your problem is you're not as smart as you think you are, but she seems to have come a long way. I think that she going, you know, completely to the dark side has really gotten her Tapped in to uh, all sorts of evil plans, and again, I mean, if you subscribe to the theory that she knew all along what she was doing and that she baited Tyrion to come in and make him think that this truce was happening, this is another instance of Cersei getting the jump on Tyrion.
1: You know, I, I think that there's 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 some stuff to talk about there. I think with with Cersei. I think again, it really is what Lady Elena says. Is like my biggest problem was a failure of imagination. I just couldn't conceive of someone acting with such cruelty and with such decisiveness and with such inhumanity. And I think that Cersei has really lost all of her humanity in a, in a lot of ways. I think that she's still you know a fragile character in some ways, uh, but I, I think that she's somebody who the death of her final child like really pushed her over the edge. And frankly, you know, she blew up the Sept of before before Tommen killed himself, so she was already there. I think that her experience. Experiences in season five and season six, as well, I think really got her to that point. And I think it's less that she's smarter than Tyrion and less that she's smarter than even Jamie, and more that she's just, she's so willing to do whatever she has to do in order to win, in her mind. She's the Russell Hans of Game of Thrones. You know, she's really the person who is just willing to do whatever consequences be damned as long as it gets her one step further along the way. And that is enough to get you far for a while, but I don't think it's enough to ultimately win out. Or maybe I'm wrong and maybe this show has like a massively cruel twist coming down the pike at some point. But I think that what we are experiencing with Cersei and what we'll eventually experience with Cersei is like the limits of that inhumanity. And eventually when you're all alone, what are you ruling over? Are you even ruling over anything anymore? Uh, going to be interesting to see for sure.
0: What do you think the future holds for Jamie and Cersei now that they are separated that I really thought that we were going to see this come to a head in in the episode last night, especially as the tensions were rising between the two of them, I thought that one of them could potentially die in that scene. I didn't think that we would get the outcome we did, where Jamie just goes off at it alone now, uh, wandering away from King's Landing. I kind of felt like that these two were going to be in the same place the whole rest of the way. What do you think happens now with them?
1: It's a great question. I mean, everybody, or not everybody, but so many people have have really latched on to the idea that one day Jamie's going to kill Cersei. You know, there's the prophecy of the Valonqar, the younger sibling who's going to choke Cersei to death and she's always feared that it's Tyrion and everyone has thought like the dramatic irony is going to be that it's Jamie who does it. Um, but I don't know. I don't think it's impossible that that was the final scene between these two characters. That felt like a breakup. You know, it felt like a, no, I'm done with this. I'm done. I'm going off and I'm saving the world. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be the person that i know in my heart that i actually am like he's actually listening to brienne and like screw loyalty forget that this is bigger than loyalty this is bigger than your obligations this is this is the fate of mankind we're talking about and i think that jamie seems to me to be on board with that and i don't know what's getting cersei north of the wall you know or north towards the wall or what's left of the wall anyway i don't see what's you know pushing her back into the conflict at this point i think that cersei she seems pretty comfortable just hanging out in King's Landing, especially if like Winterfell is about to get wrecked. And I really think it's about to get wrecked. Uh, So I I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for these two characters together. I do think the Valonqar thing could still happen, um, but I'm now more inclined to think that it would be of the Arya variety. There's a lot of people who've had that theory as well that Arya being a younger sibling, at least, you know, within the context of House Stark, if the younger sibling doesn't have to come from the Lannisters, then she would be a candidate to go after Cersei. And I maintain what we talked about earlier in these podcasts, and Steven really brought this up, uh, that like if Arya is like going after Cersei, that's probably really scary, scary news for Arya. But I do think that there are there are places um, there's there's pieces in place where you could see why Arya going down to King's Landing, maybe wearing the face of somebody freshly killed and familiar could be something that we could see in the final season of the show and maybe cozying her way up to Cersei. And getting just close enough to finally cross that name off the list, I think is something we could potentially see in the final season.
0: Okay. You mentioned Aria. We got resolution in the Arya and Sansa conflict that had been going on all season with the death of Littlefinger. Poor one out for my favorite Littlefinger. Josh, I am very confused still today. You know, a day after watching the episode of what was real and what was not with Sansa and Arya, because I watched the Inside the episode uh, that Benioff and Weiss do. And it seemed to me from what they were saying was that, you know, we have this opportunity with the show to be able to create all this dramatic tension. And I almost got the sense walking away from that, that aria and sansa the whole time were working together and they were just stringing little finger along what's your read on all of this
1: uh, i'm gonna have to go back and uh we have to go back i'm gonna have to go back and watch the Arya and sansa scenes from this season before i feel like totally comfortable weighing in on this but i do get the sense that there is a double cross going on and i think it's been going on for a while and now you have to like go back and you have to rewatch those scenes and see like Are they publicly feuding just for, like, the sake of everybody else who's around? You know, at what point does Arya convince Sansa that Littlefinger is not to be trusted? I don't think the show did a a tremendously elegant job of selling that, and that's not to the benefit of a guy like Littlefinger, who is supposed to see all things at once. You know, he's supposed to be prepared for every scenario. I think there's something cool to the idea of Sansa being a blind spot for him and really, you know, thinking that he had that under control and not realizing that she was eventually going to be able to overpower him. But that also feels like a failure of imagination that doesn't seem totally plausible within Littlefinger's wheelhouse. Uh, so I don't know. I'm, the, on, on one level, I'm, I'm a little frustrated by it. I'm, I'm not a fan of the bait and switch. I, I don't like those Arya and Sansa scenes from earlier in the season. And I don't know that even knowing what the outcome ultimately was, if that's going to fix anything for me. But that being said, I think that the death of Littlefinger right now, at this point in the story, I do think it's appropriate. Um, you know, we're we're at this point now where the Night King has crossed over into West into Westeros. So almost going to say Westworld there. Westworld is coming up. Oh no. You know. A few months down the line, I can't make that pivot quite yet. Um, but the Night King is in Westeros, uh, and he's got the White Walkers here. And uh, I wrote this in my uh, in my Littlefinger tribute uh, that I wrote for THR, which I'm I'm pretty proud of. I liked that article. Uh, was I, w- I would have loved to have seen like Littlefinger like try to negotiate with the Night King and like pull a Harry Ellis from Die Hard, mm-hmm. like the scumbag guy at Nakitomi Towers uh, who is like, "Come on, Hans, booby, you know, and to, like try and like give the Night King like, Harren Hall as like a power move and just get like stabbed in the face as a result. I think would have been kind of incredible, but I don't think it would have been as appropriate for that character to go out that way than to have him killed off by the children of the woman he loved more than anybody or anything on the planet. Uh, I think for him to be defeated by the flesh and blood of Catelyn Stark is appropriate. And I think for him to die now, as the show is clearly turning its eye less on the political stuff and more on the overwhelming threat against humanity, I think that it was just bound to happen. Um, so I'm good with it. I'm good with Littlefinger dying here. I think that it happening from Sansa and Arya is appropriate. I think the the timing of it is appropriate as well. I guess I kind of wish that we had had like a better Littlefinger arc this season, you know, rather than spending so much time on Sansa and Arya's fake feud. Uh, we didn't really get like a lot of agency from Littlefinger himself. Like, what are like the classic Littlefingerisms from this season? There's a really good scene where he tells Sansa like the whole like fight every battle everywhere all at once. Like, I do love that scene. And I think especially on reflection, like it's kind of like a really sad thing that he says to her. Like, what a lonely dude this guy. Uh, so like that was a great moment. But other than that, it was really kind of light on Littlefinger. And then he gets killed off. I just wish that there's one or two moments with Littlefinger that were just like really, really prominent and pronounced this season.
0: This is the thing that really ended up bothering me from last night, because I felt like that we never got to find out Littlefinger's master plan. It was sort of just like, OK, well, I'm just going to hang out with Sansa and hopefully that she can accumulate more power as we go along. But then also just the idea of that Arya and Sansa were working together together at what point did that happen? Because going back to last week's episode, I feel like it's hard to watch the encounter that they have where Sansa uncovers the masks of everything from the faceless men that unless they thought Littlefinger was like with a glass at the door. I don't know why they're having that conversation in private. And yeah, it yeah. just do- it doesn't make any sense that they went through this degree of theater, I mean, it seemed like that Littlefinger had some agency at some point where he ends up getting this note and putting it in his room and he wants Arya to find the note. It looks like to some degree things are working, but I just didn't understand exactly uh, when things turned.
1: I don't mind him being outsmarted by the Stark sisters. Like, I think that's fine. And I think that it's a it's a great way of showing how far both of them have come that, you know, the student becomes the master in the case of Sansa. And it's also a testament to just how good Aria. Aria has become. What I don't like is like the fake me out stuff. You know, I don't think that we necessarily needed that. Maybe you, it, rather than like starting this storyline. So quickly, maybe you give Littlefinger and Arya a couple of more scenes together because they really didn't have any and like really start building up from his perspective why he needs to start feeling desperate and why he needs to start making some of these moves. Um, I do think that there's something to the fact that, you know, Littlefinger, he was a gambler, you know, he would take big risks, you know, big risk, you know, high risk, high reward, you know, type of situations and types of moves that could have potentially devastating, fatal consequences. And he always knew that. So I don't mind a plan of his. backfiring and ultimately taking him out. Like frankly, it's just a matter of time before something like that actually happened. Just I still just don't love like the the you know the the pulling the wool over everybody's eyes with the Santa and Aria stuff. So you know, we'll review those scenes at a certain point in time and we'll go back and we'll watch them and see if they hold up any better now that we know what the what the full scope of the of the move was. But in terms of just losing Littlefinger and not having him on the show anymore and like the actual death scene was really, really great. Mm-hmm. Like that was some top notch work from Aiden Gillen. Uh, just like the, the level of desperation from Littlefinger. You've never, you've never seen that before. So in its own way, that was really, really powerful. I thought that he knocked it out of the park. Uh, so I, I loved the performance. I loved the scene itself. I don't love how we got there. But I'm, I'm good with where we are now. And I'm good with, with him being gone and what that means for where we're gone.
0: So when we look ahead into season eight of Game of Thrones, whenever that may be, Do you get the sense that we're leading off with the Great War or do you feel like that that is going to be more of a closing note for the entire show?
1: I think that, you know, it would this is where like the, the speed stuff would start to really grind my gears. Like the White Walkers are in the north right now. They've got a dragon Dragons fly fast, unless zombie dragons are slow because they are a little bit more, you know, uh, in, in the decomposition phase. Uh, but they gotta, they gotta be at Winterfell at least really, really soon. Uh, I feel like if the show is being kind of, um, internally realistic, like within its own rules, uh, and setting stakes, I I think we could see the destruction of Winterfell as early as the very first episode of the final season. Um that's kind of my thinking right now is that we will we will start we will come right out of the gate with a really big episode that is Not the first time we've seen Winterfell get sacked, but it would be the first time that we'd get, we'd see Winterfell get destroyed, uh, based on what we saw the, uh, what we saw the undead Viserion do to the wall. Just imagine what he would be able to do to the castle of Winterfell. And just realistically, how do you stop that from happening right now? There's really no soldiers in place to prevent this from happening, and distance is not much of an issue. So I think that you gotta imagine that Winterfell falls. Really quickly, and that's a scary prospect because there's a lot of people we love that are in Winterfell right now, and they're not the strongest fighters on the show. There's one Valyrian sword there right now, in in the form of Heart'sbane that Samwell brought up. Uh, Arya has a Dragon Glass dagger or a Valyrian dagger, I believe. Um, but other than that, like Brienne isn't there right now, Podrick isn't there right now. So what happens? You know, Bran is not the swiftest guy on the planet right now. No. So so what do you do? Uh, so I think that we have the potential to lose some people really fast in uh, the season eight premiere. Uh, I, you know, this was something that I brought up with John Bradley when I interviewed him this morning uh, talking about like, are you a little worried that Sam could be in immediate trouble here in this first episode coming back? He's like, You know, I am. I I really am. I'm kind of I'm kind of nervous and it would be terrible because for him to die right now after he's like demonstrated so much potential and so many like, you know, such like a wealth of knowledge for him to die at this point would be horrible and tragic. And that's why it would be great narratively. Uh, Like this is the moment where you need to start losing Things that you really, really love. I know that the great Sarah Shannon had asked me this on Twitter the other week. Is Game of Thrones losing, you know, a little bit of its, um, you know, its its teeth in terms of uh, pulling main characters off the board? We really we lost some people this season, but the biggest one we lost was Littlefinger, and a lot of the main characters were safe. And like, is there a sense now? That the main characters of, of Game of Thrones are safe. Well, we're in the final season now. Uh, that's that's you know we've got six episodes of this show left. We've got a long time to wait until this show comes back. And I think that if this show wants to be Game of Thrones of yesteryear, you know Game of Thrones classic, the hallmark of Game of Thrones was it would it would constantly upset you by ruining people that you love and taking characters off the board that you really really care about. And I think that we could be in for some of that really really quickly. And if we're not, then I got to have a really good explanation for why like I have to have at the very least a really good explanation for why the Night King and the White Walkers don't destroy uh, Winterfell pretty much immediately. Like everyone who we care about, maybe they can escape and that's fine if they have like a really cool and good way of doing that. But Winterfell's got to fall. You know, the wall is down right now. We're at least horribly damaged and basically uh, rendered useless in its in its purpose. And I think that Winterfell is next. I think Winterfell is the next big casualty on Game of Thrones.
0: How do we stop the army of the undead? What is the ultimate solve? Do we have some sort of a hand-to-hand mano mano battle between Aegon Targaryen and the Night King?
1: Yeah, I think so. Like, I think that that's where we go. I think uh, you know there's going to be like some some dragon on dragon battle. You're going to see like Daenerys and Jon taking on the Night King and Viserion. Uh, And then I think, uh, you know, my pet theory is that Bran uh, gets to fulfill the promise of you'll never walk again, Brandon Stark, but you will fly. And he gets to warg into the dragon. He gets to warg into Viserion and he gets to steal that dragon back from the Night King or destroy the dragon or something. And now the, the Night King's number one weapon is off the table. And now you're, you're in John's world, right? Like now you're in single combat. Now you're on John's turf and, Uh, there is a fight between the two of them. John probably gets badly injured and dies as a result, but he kills the Night King, and in killing the Night King, all of the White Walkers and Whites are stopped, because that was set up back in Beyond the Wall, in the penultimate episode of this season. What if we kill the Night King? Then everybody drops. I think that's the way to defeat the Night King.
0: And then we still have to
1: settle the score with Cersei. Still gotta settle the score with Cersei, yeah. uh, And my pet theory on that one right now, that I really, I hope that they do it, because it'd be so much fun, uh, because Aiden Gillen was so great as little finger and i think a lot of actors have been able to have a good time on this show being like you know david bradley as walder frey except he's actually playing aria as walder frey must have been so incredible uh and i think that for aiden gillen to get the chance to play aria as Littlefinger going to king's landing that seems really fun and that's a quick and easy way to get maybe aria and sansa away from winterfell in time if their like next plan is like all right bring me to King's Landing, and you pose as Littlefinger, and I'll be Santa, obviously, and we present ourselves as a prize to Cersei, and then you assassinate Cersei, and it's awesome. Like, maybe there's some mission like that that's going to go forward, and maybe that's how we take care of Cersei.
0: I mean, is it more likely that Arya could be wearing the face of Jaime Lannister and fulfill that prophecy of the Valonqar, just
1: not as Jaime Lannister himself? Ooh, that's interesting. So, Well, Jaime would have to die for that to happen. Well, obviously. And are we going to be cool with Arya killing Jaime Lannister? I mean, I guess Jaime could just die and then Arya just takes his face. Like, she doesn't have to kill Jaime in order to do it. Uh, That'd be fun, too. uh, But I hope not, because I want Jaime to live. You know, it's like the... It's like the Sawyer thing. Like you want the scoundrel to like redeem himself and you want him to make it out of this thing okay. And I kind of feel that way towards Jamie these days.
0: Okay. So a lot to figure out. Any other major questions for you heading into the Game of Thrones offseason, Josh?
1: How wonderful was the Clogane Bowl smack talk hype. hype. That was like that was that was so great. That was so great. Just, like, the promise of, like, I'm coming for you. I'm coming. Like, that's, like, the... You know, like, in, like, Street Fighter, before you would play, like, Ken and Rai, you would, like, the screen would, like, show up and you've got them on either side of the screen and they would just, like, bark something terrible at each other and then you would fight. I don't know if it was either before the battle or after the battle. Certainly after the battle, I know that there was some smack talk. But it was like that. It was like, there's just, like, here we go. We're setting this up. This is gonna happen and you know that it's gonna happen now. Like, beyond any shadow of a doubt. The Clegane Bowl is real. It is happening. It is known. I am more confident in that than I am about anything else on Game of Thrones. The Clegane Bowl is for real. But what's the
0: context there, though? Is it that, okay, Night King is defeated and now the last boss is Cersei and the Mountain is standing in whoever's way and the Hound is like, I got this.
1: Yeah, not today. Yeah, I think it's it's probably something like that. I mean, you do have to imagine that Cersei gets drawn into this somehow. Like, she's just, you know, she's such a a main pivotal character, and to have, like, the King's Landing people not involved in this at all, that's hard to see. So, like... I don't know, like imagine the scenario where she's just like so raw about Jamie leaving, which is like, no, I got to go up there and I got to spite him or like, "Okay, uh, now's my chance to defeat John and Daenerys. So we got to march right now and the mountain is with her. And so there's some sort of meeting on the battlefield where the where the hound can can fight the mountain. I don't think it's that much of a leap um, to figure out how that's going to work out. It's just going to happen like that wouldn't have happened on the show. You wouldn't have gotten that smack talk from the hound to the mountain if we're not going to see that like. It's just, it's happening. It is absolutely happens
0: so what's coming up for you the rest of the week
1: more stuff uh, I am going to be speaking with Isaac Hempstead right this week Ooh. Uh, so we'll get a little bit of, we'll we'll have him brand splain some <laughs> yes. things to us yes. you know we'll, we'll get his insight and his green sight into all of the happenings going on on Game of Thrones right now uh, I am trying to schedule an interview with uh, unfortunately Aiden Gillen is unavailable but I'm trying to schedule an interview with Conleth Hill who plays Varys because I feel like it would be fun to kind of get his eulogy for Littlefinger considering those two are at odds for so much of the early portions of the season. So underserved Varys in season seven. He's always underserved, you know, but every time he shows up, he's awesome. So it works out. Uh, so I'll, I'll I'll be looking forward to that if that comes through. Uh, also going to be talking again to Tormund Giants Bane himself, Christopher Hivju, uh, who may or may not be dead on the show. What I thought we think? he should have been dead. I know that
0: there's been a lot of talk like, oh, no, they wouldn't kill those characters characters off screen. But if you are on the wall and that wall is coming down and there is an ice dragon attacking, you are not living to tell the tale. So to me, that felt like a little bit of a cheat to not kill those characters there. They're probably alive.
1: They're probably alive. We didn't see like their bodies drop. We saw like a horrible, horrible disaster happen up there. But those are two pretty important characters or at least characters that were invested in. And for us to just be left to assume that they're dead feels like a cheat. Uh, also kind of feels like a cheat that they wouldn't die in that situation. But, you know, I'll take the version where at least uh, at least they're somehow still alive so that we can actually get, uh, you know, we can actually get a moment to see them die. If that's something in their future for them to just kind of get like dropped along with the wall without having any final moment for them would be kind of absurd, I think. And also, what would the point of Beric Dondarian be? Like there has to be like some purpose for that character. I still think it's to bring Jon Snow back to life, but I'm not abandoning that theory anytime soon. Uh, and just to let him die like that, just unceremoniously, just feels feels a little off to me. So those guys are alive. Either way, I'll get to the bottom of it. How about that? I'll, I'll ask him, do you have a job next year? That'll be my first <laughs> question. Uh, do
0: you think there's any chance that Arya will hold on to the face of Littlefinger so that they could just torment and taunt Littlefinger uh, even after death where... I guess I'm just a big stupid idiot, Sansa.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think they'll have a lot of fun. Uh, I with think the little they, finger mask. Yeah, I think that they just wanna, you know, do little finger impressions. Like maybe Sansa's still sad about it, and Arya's like, cheer up, Sansa. I'm still alive. Ah, just kidding, it's me, Arya. You know, I think that we could see a little bit of that.
0: Sansa, kiss me. Kiss me, <laughs> Sansa. Come here. <laughs> Ew,
1: gross, go away, Arya stop. <laughs> That's uh, the kind of sibling interaction that I want next
0: season. Yeah, if they have time before the Night King shows up.
1: They don't. They don't have time.
0: All right. And then uh, we will have some updates coming up on our feedback show about the Throners around the corner. It is award season. So be on the lookout for that on Wednesday. But we do have a big announcement that just came in via Raven, Josh. Oh, my God. Let's open up the scroll. What does it say? Yes. Well, oh, it is from the Post Show Recaps headquarters. Oh, wow. PSR HQ. And uh, the Maesters have a, a big announcement that uh, with via the help of the green site of HBO Go we were able to see all the way back to the beginning of Game of Thrones.
1: No kidding. We're able to look all the way back to the Ned Stark days of Game of Thrones. I didn't know that that was at our disposal.
0: That's right. And since there is going to be quite a gap in between now and the start, the final six episodes of Game of Thrones, we have something uh, very special in store.
1: I'm excited about this. Uh, We are going to rewatch Game of Thrones. We're going to rewatch Game of Thrones episode by episode one week at a time and we are going to talk about all of the episodes that have come before on Game of Thrones in the context of everything we know going into the 6 episode final season not impossible that the uh, that the show will return before we can finish our rewatch, uh, hopefully that's the case. I'll take, take the guess. over. A, take the it's over. A, it's a really long time, but we'll push through once the final season comes out as well. We'll complete the rewatch. But yeah, week by week, and we're going to do this in partnership with THR. So it's going to be a really fun time where we're going to talk about every episode through the context of what we know through seven seasons of the show. So it's going to be full on spoilers. So don't don't tread into this lightly. Uh, it's going to be a really, really great time. Great weekly podcast here on Post Show Recaps coming up. And uh, it's going to be a great way to keep the Game of Thrones action alive in the off season.
0: OK, and now we know so much going back all the way from the end. We can now see if the actions back in the beginning uh, really do make sense. And it looks like we I guess we got some closure on the events from the early on where, uh, you know, who sent the assassin to go kill
1: Bran. I mean, is this confirmed it was Littlefinger? I think that that's the implication. Yeah, I think that uh, at least the show's version of events is that Littlefinger was the guy.
0: Okay, all right. So uh, we will tackle all that and much more when we begin our Game of Thrones rewatch starting in September.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Currently uh, under the uh, the subhead, Winter was here. Uh, is, the, is the code name of this project. So I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Okay. Josh, well,
0: great stuff. Of course, you could follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter, at RoundHoward. See everything he's working on over at THR.com. We've got our feedback show coming up. Get your questions in GOT at com or send us a voicemail, com slash voicemail. Anything else, Josh? Not a mucho. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Uh, listening to our Deep Dive podcast all season long. And also thanks to everybody at The Hollywood Reporter for collaborating with us on these deep dives all season long. We will talk to you on the feedback show. Subscribe to the podcast. Go to posterrecups.com slash GOT iTunes. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.